Man, I'm loving this series so much. Uh, if you're new, we're in the middle of this series. We're calling This Is My Story, where each week we're looking at a passage from the Gospel of John where someone encounters Jesus, and we're talking about the difference that that encounter makes in their life. And then, as you've already seen, we're showing a video each week about an encounter that someone in our congregation is having with Jesus and the difference he's making in their life. Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been an encouragement to me, as all of the stories have been. Well, what's behind this series is that when we meet Jesus, things change, and he gives us a story to tell. Our passage for this morning comes from John chapter 4, and it's a story about healing, but it's also a story about how faith grows. I'll begin reading at John 4, verse 45. Hear the word of the Lord. When he, Jesus, arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. Have you ever heard the phrase trust issues? Do you know this phrase? We say someone has trust issues when they've been hurt in the past and it makes, them hard for, uh, makes it hard for them to trust people in the present, right? Uh, and you know how this works. After you get burned a few times, you learn to protect yourself by not, not trusting quite so easily, right? Trust issues. Now, this is actually more common than you might think. Uh, If you've ever had a teenager in your house, chances are pretty good that you have had some trust issues. That sounds like Jeff Foxworthy, don't you? If you have a teenager, you might have trust issues. Yes, yes, mom, I finished all my homework. Uh, Sure, dad, I'll be home right at 10 p.m. Parents, have you been there? Well, uh, just in case you think that pastors' families are exempt from these kind of trust issues, uh, let me just share with you that, that we're not. Uh, In fact, uh, it reminds me of of a story about one of my kids who for privacy reasons will remain nameless, uh, but he's sitting right there in the third row. Uh, When this unnamed kid was in middle school, he was at winter weekend, this overnight event at church, and when his friends fell asleep, he decided it would be a good idea to draw mustaches on their faces. Uh, But here's where the diabolical part came in. After he drew mustaches on their faces, He drew a mustache on his own face to give himself plausible deniability and then went to sleep. In fact, when we were talking about this yesterday, uh, he said, actually, I didn't draw on the two kids that I thought people would assume did it to throw the uh, suspicion on them. (laughs) And you wonder why I have trust issues. Parents, it gets better, I promise. Uh, Just a little personal word, that kid got engaged uh, this week, this past weekend, and is graduating from college, and so far we've all survived. So, 
All, all joking aside, whether you've had a teenager in your house or not, all of us have been burned, haven't we? All of us have been burned and we've had our trust broken. And when someone breaks your trust, it's harder to trust them next time, isn't it? And it's not just harder to trust them next time. Oftentimes it just makes you cynical and it's harder to trust anyone. Because we've been burned, it's hard to trust. But as it turns out, when it comes to following Jesus, trust or faith as we sometimes call it when we're talking about spiritual things is a big deal. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Charles Spurgeon said that for Christians, faith is like Samson's hair. If you cut it off, we lose all of our strength. Without faith, we can't live the full and abundant life that God intends for us. So faith is a crucial part of the Christian life, but it doesn't come easily because we have trust issues. That's the tension of today's sermon. We're going to talk about how the faith of the royal official grows throughout this passage. And it's my prayer that today is a day where your faith grows as well. Whether you're just starting out your spiritual journey or whether you've been following Jesus for decades, it's my prayer that this passage serves to strengthen your faith in Jesus. As our passage opens, Jesus has been down in Jerusalem. That's the capital of Israel. He's been there for Passover and now he's back up in the northern part of the country in Galilee where he grew up. And verse 45 says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Right here at the beginning of the passage, John is foreshadowing what the story is about. He says that the Galileans welcomed Jesus because they, they were impressed with all the miracles that he had been performing. And I want you to keep that in your mind. Uh, it's going to be important for a minute, the fact that they were basing their, their welcome on the miracles. So Jesus is in a town called Cana in Galilee. It's the same place where he and John 2 turned water into wine. And about 20 miles away in a town called Capernaum, there was a guy who worked for Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of that area. And this, this man was facing the scenario that's any parent's worst nightmare. His son was sick and was about to die. And so, of course, like any parent would, would be, he was desperate. And, and when he heard that, that this guy, Jesus, who had been performing miracles, was in the area, he dropped everything and went to find him. Verse 47 says, he went to him and he begged Jesus to come and heal his son. Can you feel the, just the, the, the desperation in his voice as he's begging Jesus, please, please help me. And then in response, Jesus says something that to me seems totally out of left field. I expect him to say, absolutely, let's go right now. Let's heal your son. But instead, look what he says, verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. What in the world? It sounds, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, the guy's about to lose his son. And, and instead of fixing the problem, Jesus starts talking about faith. Well, before you start getting frustrated with Jesus for being insensitive, take a moment to remember what, what do we know about Jesus from the rest of Scripture? That's always a good way to interpret Scripture, by the way. What do we know from the whole story of Scripture? And about Jesus, we know that he's the one who loved us so much that he left heaven and came to earth for us. He's the one who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. So it, it can't be that Jesus doesn't care, right? It, it can't be that this man's, pain, this man's pain doesn't mean anything to him. But if it's not that, what is it? Why would Jesus say this unexpected thing? Well, as we unpack it together, what we're gonna find out is that even though this may seem harsh at first, what Jesus is actually doing is responding in the most loving way possible. 
Jesus is doing with this man what he does with all of us. Jesus calls us to deep faith. With this statement, Jesus is pointing the man to the kind of faith that he invites all of us into. Remember what I asked you to remember uh, uh, just a minute ago that the Galileans were just welcoming Jesus because of the miracles? That's what's behind this statement. Jesus is asking this man and the crowds gathered around, what are you here for? Are you here just for the miracles? Are you here just for the show? Are you here because you believe in me? Asked another way, are you here uh, are you here for me? Or are you just here for what you can get from me? And that's a penetrating question, isn't it? And it's one that we have to ask ourselves. Do we view God like a, a vending machine where we, we push the right buttons and we get the blessings we want? Or do we view him as the blessing? Is Jesus a means to an end or is he the goal? Now, let me be really, really clear. Jesus is the source of so many blessings. Jesus has done and is doing so many miracles. I've seen it in my own life and I'm praying for it in so many uh, friends' lives, Steve and Carolyn and Darren and Brad and uh, Courtney and so many others that I'm praying for miracles and I believe that God can and will do miracles. Jesus is not saying that the signs and wonders are bad. He's the one who performed them after all. But what he is saying is there's more to the story. What he is saying is that those signs aren't ends unto themselves. They're actually meant to point to something greater. They're meant to point to who Jesus is. And listen, this is so good. Jesus isn't just the source of everything good. Jesus is everything good. Jesus is the embodiment, the personification of goodness itself. You see the difference? Jesus is calling this man, just like he's calling us, to a deep faith that's based on who he is, not just what he can do. He's calling us to the kind of faith that trusts him completely, no matter what the circumstances are. A faith that says, no matter what happens, Jesus, I believe you're good. No matter what happens, Jesus, I wanna follow you. That's the deep faith that he calls us to. If you're like me, you may be getting uncomfortable at this point because, John, that sounds really, really hard. <laughs> And if I'm honest, most of the time, I just don't have that kind of faith. Does anybody remember what the nickname or the, is it the nickname? Yeah, for the state of Missouri. Anybody remember? It's the show me state. That's right. That's the show me state. In other words, until I see the evidence, I'm going to be just a little bit suspicious, right? If you want me to believe something, you're going to have to show me. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at Missouri because when it comes to this topic, I think we could all be, is it Missourians? Is that what they're called? People from Missouri? All of us, all of us, it's hard to believe something without seeing the evidence first. Now, there are definitely benefits to this approach to life, right? Uh, let's say someone emails you and they tell you they've just inherited $20 million from their rich grandfather and all they need is your bank account number to share it with you, right? In that case, it's good to have a show-me kind of attitude, isn't it? It keeps us from getting taken advantage of. But when we import that attitude into our spiritual life, it can get a little bit dangerous. It's a little bit dicey. If our faith is based on our circumstances, if we view our circumstances as the evidence of whether God loves us or not, or as the evidence of whether following Jesus is worth it, and our faith is going to be all over the place, isn't it? Because our circumstances are all over the place. That's the way life goes. 
In other words, a faith that only works when it's sunny and 75 isn't going to work all that often. In Dallas, it'll be about a week in March and a week in October, right? This reminds me of a story that happened uh, many years ago when I first uh, became the worship pastor here at VRBC. Uh, There was a woman who has since passed away uh, and uh, someone told me that she, when she was younger, uh, had a beautiful singing voice. And this particular woman had kind of a reputation for being a little, um, we'll call it cranky. Uh, The glass tended to be half empty. And and when I heard that she was a singer, I thought, oh man, maybe this is my opportunity. I I can build a relationship with her. So I started inviting her to choir. And uh, I had asked and she didn't come. I asked and she didn't come. This went on for months. And finally, one Wednesday night, in the door, uh, here she comes. And I was so excited. And And I said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here. And she looked right at me and scowled and said, I'm only gonna sing on the songs I like. I took uh, a breath and I said, you know what, that's okay, you can sing on whatever you want to. And she looked me again in the eye and said, I'm probably not gonna sing much. (laughs) If we only sing on the songs we like, we're probably not gonna be singing much, are we? And when we only trust Jesus when the circumstances of our life are just right, when he's miraculously resolving every single problem, we're probably not going to be trusting much. So where does that leave us? It's that tension, right? Jesus calls us to deep faith, and we know we need that kind of deep faith to make it through the the storms of life, which inevitably will, will come. But most of the time, we just don't have that kind of faith. We feel like it's not in us. So, so, so what do we do? Is it hopeless? Praise God, it's not. Praise God, it's not. Because Jesus doesn't just call us to deep faith. Jesus starts with our shallow faith. Jesus doesn't just wait for us to have uh, the full measure of this kind of faith that looks past our circumstances. No, he starts where we are. By his grace, he meets us where we are. Look what happens next in the passage. Jesus doesn't turn and walk away from the man, does he? No, he waits to see how the man will respond. And in verse 49, the man says, sir, come down before my child dies. He's heard Jesus' rebuke of a faith that depends on miracles. He's heard him calling him to this deep faith based on who Jesus is, not just what he can do. And he's not given up. And here's the thing, this man does have faith. It may be small. It may be shallow at the beginning. It may just be based on this, this desperate hope that maybe Jesus can do this miracle, but, it, but it's there. If he didn't have faith, he wouldn't have made the trip to Cana, right? If he didn't have faith when Jesus pressed on him a little bit, he would have turned and walked away, but he did have faith. And do you remember what Jesus said about small faith? I love this. Matthew 17, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, the smallest little seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Friends, small faith is faith that God can use. Jesus calls us to deep faith, but he starts with our shallow faith. I hope you hear that as really good news. Uh, I love what commentator Leon Morris says. He says, none of us has perfect faith. None of us have perfectly pure motives, yet Jesus always welcomes us. He takes us with what little faith we do have and he makes us into the very saints of God. Friends, I know there are times when your faith wavers. I know there are times when you're afraid. 
I know there are times when you have doubts and questions. Questions about yourself, questions about your life, questions about where things are going, questions and doubts about God. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't let go. Bring your doubts to God. Bring your fears to God. Bring your anxieties to God. Bring your your, your needs to Jesus. He can take a mustard seed of shallow faith and do more with it than all we can ask or imagine. The story goes on. After the man shows the faith that he does have, look, look at what Jesus says in verse 50. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. Now this feels like a big shift, doesn't it? Jesus first has kind of pressed, uh, pressed in on the man and his faith and now he does what we would have expected all along. He says, hey, your son is healed. But if you look closely, there's actually another test of faith hidden inside what Jesus says here. Remember what the father was asking was for Jesus to come with him back to, to Capernaum and heal his son. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you go back by yourself. I'm gonna stay here. Trust me. Trust me, your son is healed. Now think about the position this puts the man in. There's no FaceTime, right? He can't FaceTime his son and see how he's doing. He can't text his family to check uh, on, on his condition. Jesus is asking him to just take his word for it and walk 20 miles back home believing that what he said was true without any evidence. And isn't that where we find ourselves so much of the time? Jesus asks us to take him at his word and to obey him and to trust him. Uh, And most of the time, it just feels like there's not any visible proof. It just feels like there's not any evidence. Jesus says, be generous with your money. I know the world says to spend your money on things that'll make you happy, but trust me, trust me, giving it away is better. Jesus says, hey, when you have a choice between yourself and another person, put the other person first. I know the world says to look out for number one, but trust me, the way to save your life is to lose it. To parents, Jesus says, hey, raise your kids the way that my word teaches. I know the culture says that you need to adopt their values, but trust me, the narrow way is better. But Jesus, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? How how, how do I know? And Jesus says to us what Carolyn so beautifully said in her, her video. He says to us, Trust me, trust me. Jesus gives the man a faith test and he passes with flying colors. The rest of verse 50 says that the man took Jesus at his word and departed. How do we know the man had faith? He did what Jesus asked him to do. He obeyed, right? Jesus said go and the man went. He didn't know where it was gonna lead. He didn't have visible proof that his son was healed but he trusted Jesus And he responded in simple obedience. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. I love that. Taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. And that's that's what so much of the Christian life is. Every now and then, every now and then God shows us the whole staircase. Every now and then we have this moment of clarity where everything seems to light up and to click into focus and we instantly understand what's happening, why it's happening, how it all fits together. But most of the time, most of the time we just have enough light for one or two small steps, don't we? And faith means humbly doing what Jesus says, trusting 
that he's good, trusting that he loves us, trusting that he's with us, even in the dark. I wonder, is it possible that Jesus may be inviting you to take one small step today? Is there, uh, is there a relationship that's broken that, that, that Jesus is inviting you to work toward reconciliation in? Is there a coworker uh, or a family member who doesn't know the love and grace of Jesus that, that the Spirit is nudging you to take a, a small risk and share faith with? Is there uh, an anxiety or a fear or a doubt that, that the Holy Spirit is, is inviting you to lay at Jesus' feet? Is there a, a new serving role that, that, that God is calling you into? And it's scary, right? It's scary. Jesus, I can't see the whole staircase. Well, I pray that today you'll hear the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, trust me. Trust me. Take one step. Just one step. I'm with you. As the man was on his way home, he looked in the distance and he saw some of the guys who worked for him. And they were on their way to give him an update. And the text doesn't say this, but I picture the man breaking into a full-on sprint. I know that's what I would have done. He runs toward him and he's, what's the news? What's the news? What's the news? And when they're close enough to talk, they say, he's alive. He's alive. He's healthy. Again, the text doesn't say it, but in my mind's eye, I just see the tears start to come down. The, the, The waterworks begin and then when he gets his composure the father asks what time was it I gotta know what time they say why it was it was one o'clock in the afternoon yesterday and it all came together right that was the exact moment that Jesus had said his son was healed and that leads to the climax in verse 53 I love this it says so he and his whole household believed Now, the word believe plays a a very special and key role in the Gospel of John. I I found out this uh, last week that John uses some form of this word believe 98 different times in uh, the Gospel. And he always uses it in a particular way. He doesn't mean believe like mentally agreeing something is true, like I believe that George Washington was the first president of the U.S. Now, when he says believe, he means putting your full hope, your full confidence in someone in who they are. Like I believe in Joanna. I I believe in who she is. I place my full confidence and trust in her as my wife. See the difference? Mental agreement versus placing your full hope and confidence. So when John says that the man and his whole household believe, what he says is they've put their full trust, their full hope in Jesus. When they saw that he'd been faithful to do what he said he was gonna do, they didn't just believe in what he'd done, They believed in who he was. Not just what he could do, but who he is, his identity. They believed in him. And that is the culmination of this man's faith journey. Jesus started with his shallow faith, but it didn't stop there because Jesus points us to life-giving faith. Jesus leads us to the kind of faith that brings spiritual life, vitality. This kind of deep faith, faith not in what Jesus can do, but faith in who he is, is the source of life. Check out what John says right at the end of his gospel. I love this so much, John 20. Uh, John is talking about all of Jesus' signs and miracles that he recorded in his book, and he says, these, these miracles and signs, these are written that you may believe, there it is. They're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
John's saying that the whole point, the whole reason that he went through the effort of writing this gospel is so that his readers, including us, by the way, would believe in Jesus, put our full hope, trust, and confidence and faith in Jesus, and that by believing, we would find life in his name. Life is actually a huge theme in this passage. The English translation obscures it just a little bit, but, but three times in the passage, John uses the same exact Greek word. And when you see repetition uh, in scripture, you need to pay attention because uh, the writer is trying to make a point. He uses the same Greek word three times. It's a tiny little word, just two letters, Z-E, pronounced Z, and it means literally, he lives. He lives. So in verse 50, when Jesus tells uh, the man that his son is healed, the English says, your son will live, but the Greek literally says, he lives. Present tense, right now, he lives. And then in verse 51, when the man's servants tell him that, that the boy's okay, they use that exact same word, say, he lives. And in verse 53, when the man realizes that he got better at the exact same time Jesus spoke to him, John uses that same word again, say, he lives. Three times, like the, the pealing of a bell from the steeple of a church, say, 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 he lives. And it's amazing as it is that the boy is alive. The story is even bigger than that, friends. The story is even bigger than that. Check out the very last verse. Did you notice this? The last verse says, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Jesus, uh, John uses this word sign to describe the miracle. What's a sign? A sign is something that points to something else, right? A sign points to something else. And this story is actually one of seven different stories in John's gospel where he calls a miracle a sign. What does he mean by that? Well, the reason he does this is because he's using the miracles to show us something. He's using the miracles to show us a sign of who Jesus is, Jesus' identity. And the point of the miracles isn't just that Jesus can do some really neat tricks. The point of the miracles is to reveal Jesus' glory to reveal his identity as the Messiah, the ruler over all, the one who will save us. So when you think about the, the miracles, the signs in the Gospel of John, like this last week in our growth guide, we read about how Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And, and when you read it with this context, that sign wasn't just about Jesus feeding hungry people, it was about showing people that he is the bread of life. He's true sustenance. <laughs> In John 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine inside those jars that were previously used for ceremonial cleansing, he wasn't just making sure that the party would go well. He was, he was showing that he himself was bringing a new and better way to be cleansed. And here in our passage, when Jesus heals the man's son, he's not just saving the boy's life, as amazing and wonderful as that is. He's actually pointing to the fact that Jesus is the ultimate giver of life, faith in Jesus, true faith leads to life. And this man and his whole household understood the sign. They recognized who Jesus was and they believed in him. And by believing, as John says in chapter 20, they found life in his name. And that same life, that eternal life, abundant life is available to anyone who will put their faith in Jesus. How can Jesus do this, you ask? How was how he able to take our imperfect, shallow faith and somehow give us life? This is my favorite part, the whole message right here. In this passage, 
A son was near death and Jesus intervened to save him. But later in the story, there was another son who was near death. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, please, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And his father did not intervene. The next day on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God didn't intervene. In our passage, Jesus speaks and the son is saved. On the cross, God is silent and Jesus dies. But you know that's not the end of the story, right? Because on Easter morning, Zay, he lives. He lives. That needs an amen, doesn't it? Zay, he lives. Amen. God didn't rescue Jesus from the cross, but he raised him from the dead. Listen, friends, Jesus' faith was not shallow. Jesus had true faith, deep faith in his Father. He placed his full confidence in him. And now because of Jesus' faithfulness, because of his death, because of his resurrection, you and I can have true life, abundant life, eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Earlier I said that sometimes it feels like when Jesus tells us to do something, we we don't have proof uh, that it's best. You know, it's actually not true, right? The truth is, whatever Jesus tells us to do, whatever comes in our life, we always have proof that it's best because all we have to do is look at the cross. All we have to do is look at the cross and remember that the one who loved us and gave himself for us is the one who still loves us, who is still walking with us. He's still with us today, right now, guiding us, strengthening us, leading us. And so even in the hard seasons, even when the circumstances of our lives don't go the way we want them to, even when we're afraid, even when we're anxious, even when we only have enough light for one more step, we can look to the cross, we can look to the empty tomb, and we can say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I know you're good. I know you love me. I trust you. I think the hymn writer put it best. I'll close with with these words. And if you follow Jesus for very long at all, I I imagine you can identify with these words. Hymn writer says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, and then the prayer, oh, for grace to trust him more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do trust you and we pray for grace to help us trust you more. Thank you so much that you are worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith, not just for what you can do, although you are working so many miracles in this place and in our lives, even more than that, you are trustworthy because of who you are, our loving Savior. And so God, I I pray for every person here in the room and watching online, wherever they may be, God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith. Help us to remember that Jesus was faithful, even to death on a cross, as Philippians says. And now we have assurance that regardless of what we face in this life, the Holy Spirit is with us. God loves us, and he's working all things together for our good. And so I pray that wherever uh, we are, you would call us to deeper levels of faith, not because we're strong, but because you're good. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.